Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 3 of The Gorilla Hunters by R.M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adele de Pignoroles. Chapter 3 wherein I mount guard, and how I did it, etc. Now it so happened that the battle which I had to fight with myself, after taking my post, was precisely the converse of that which I fought during the earlier part of that night. Then it was a battle with wakefulness. Now it was a struggle with sleep. And of the two fights the latter was the most severe by far. I began by laying down my rifle close by my side, leaning back in a sitting posture against the palm-tree, and resigning myself to contemplation of the fire, which burned merrily before me, while I pondered within myself how I should best employ my thoughts during the three long hours of my watch. But I had not dwelt on that subject more than three minutes, when I was rudely startled by my own head falling suddenly and heavily forward on my chest. I immediately roused myself. "'Ah, Ralph, Ralph,' said I to myself in a whisper, "'this won't do, lad.' To sleep at your post, shame on you! Had you been a sentinel in time of war, that nod would have cost you your life, supposing you to have been caught in the act. Soliloquizing thus, I arose and shook myself. Then I slapped my chest several times, and pulled my nose, and sat down again. Only a few minutes elapsed before the same thing occurred to me again, so I leapt up and mended the fires, and walked to and fro, until I felt thoroughly awake. But in order to make sure that it should not occur again, I walked to the edge of the circle of light, and gazed for some time into the dark forest, as I had done before. While standing thus I felt my knees give way, as if they had suddenly been paralyzed, and I awoke just in time to present myself falling to the ground. I must confess I was much amazed at this, for although I had often read of soldiers falling asleep standing at their posts, I had never believed the thing possible. I now became rather anxious, for, thought I, if I go to sleep and the fires die down, who knows but wild beasts may come upon us and kill us before we can seize our arms. For a moment or two I meditated waking Jack and begging him to keep me company, but when I reflected that his watch was to come immediately after mine, I had not the heart to do it. No, said I, and I said it aloud for the purpose of preventing drowsiness. No, I will fight this battle alone. I will repeat some stanzas for my favorite authors. Yes, I will try to remember a portion of A Midsummer Night's Dream. It will be somewhat appropriate to my present circumstances. Big with this resolve, I sat down with my face to the fire and my back to the palm tree, and fell sound asleep immediately. 
How long I lay in this condition I know not, but I was suddenly awakened by a yell so appalling that my heart leapt as if into my throat, and my nerves thrilled with horror. For one instant I was paralyzed, then my blood seemed to rebound on its course. I sprang up and attempted to seize my rifle. The reader may judge my state of mind when I observed that it was gone. I leapt towards the fire, and grasping a lighted brand, turned round and glared into the woods in the direction whence the yell came. It was grey dawn, and I could see things pretty distinctly, but the only living object that met my gaze was Peterkin, who stood with my rifle in his hand, laughing heartily. I immediately turned to look at Jack, who was sitting up in the spot where he had passed the night, with a sleepy smile on his countenance. "'Why, what's the meaning of this?' I inquired. "'The meaning of it?' cried Peterkin, as he advanced and restored the rifle to its place. "'A pretty fellow are you to mount guard.' We might have all been murdered in our sleep by niggers or eaten alive by gorillas, for all that you would have done to save us. But, Peterkin, said I gravely, you ought not to have startled me so. You gave me a terrible fright. People have been driven mad before now, I assure you, by practical jokes. My dear fellow, cried Peterkin, with some earnestness, I know that as well as you. "'But, in the first place, you are guilty of so heinous a crime that I determined to punish you, and at the same time to do it in a way that would impress it forcibly upon your memory. And in the second place, I would not have done it at all, had I not known that your nerves are as strong as those of a dray-horse. You ought to be taking shame to yourself on account of your fault, rather than objecting to your punishment.' "'Peterkin is right, my boy,' said Jack, laughing though I must say he had need be sure of the nerves of any one to whom he intends to administer such a ferocious yell as that. Anyhow, I have no reason to complain, for you have given me a good long sleep, although I can't say exactly that you have taken my watch. It will be broad daylight in half an hour, so we must be stirring, comrades. On considering the subject, I had made it the first of these remarks, and felt somewhat crestfallen. No doubt my companions had treated the thing jocularly, and, to say truth, there was much that was comical in the whole affair. But the more I thought of it, the more I came to perceive how terrible might have been the consequences of my unfaithfulness as a sentinel. I laid the lesson to heart, and I can truly say that, from that day to this, I have never again been guilty of the crime of sleeping at my post. We now busied ourselves in collecting together the dying embers of our fire and in preparing breakfast, which consisted of tea, hard biscuit, and cold monkey. None of us liked the monkey. Not that its flesh was bad, quite the contrary, but it looked so like a small roasted baby we could not relish it at all. However, it was all we had, for we had set off on this hunting excursion intending to live by rifles, but had been unfortunate, having seen nothing except a monkey or two. The kettle was soon boiled, and we sat down to our meagre fare with hearty appetites. While we are thus engaged, I shall turn aside for a little and tell the reader, in one or two brief sentences, how we got to this place. We shipped in a merchant ship at Liverpool, and sailed for the west coast of Africa. Arrived there we found a party, under the command of a Portuguese trader, about to set off to the interior. He could speak a little English, so we arranged to go with him as far as he intended to proceed, learn as much of the native language as possible while in his company, and then obtain a native guide to conduct it to the country in which fellows are found. To this native guide, we arranged, should be explained by the trader our object in visiting the country, so that he might tell the tribes whom we intended to visit. 
this we found was an absolutely needful precaution on the following ground the natives of africa have a singular and very bad style of carrying on trade with the white men who visit their shores the traffic consists chiefly of ivory barwood a wood much used in dyeing and india rubber the natives of the far interior are not allowed to carry these commodities directly to the coast but by the law of the land which means the law of the strongest for they are absolute savages are obliged to deliver their goods to the care of the tribe next to them these pass them on to the next tribe and so on they go from tribe to tribe till they reach the coast where they are sold by the tribe there the price obtained which usually consists of guns powder and shot looking-glasses cloth and sundry other articles and trinkets useful to men in a savage state is returned to the owners in the far interior through the same channel but as each tribe deducts a percentage for its trouble the price dwindles down as it goes until a mere trifle sometimes nothing at all remains to be handed over to the unfortunate people of the tribe who originally sent off the goods for sale of course such a system almost paralyzes tribe but in the intermediate tribes between the coast and the interior being gainers by this system are exceedingly jealous of anything like an attempt to carry on direct trade they are ready to go to war with the tribes of the interior should they attempt it and they throw all the opposition they can in the way of the few white men who ever penetrate the interior for such a purpose it will thus be seen that our travels would be hindered very much if not stopped altogether and ourselves be regarded with jealousy or perhaps murdered if our motives in going inland were not fully and satisfactorily explained to the different tribes as we pass through their lands and we therefore propose to overcome the difficulty by taking a native guide with us from the tribe with which we should chance to be residing when obliged to separate from the portuguese trader we had now reached this point the day before that on which we encamped in the woods as above related we arrived